Hello, and welcome to this wonderful Friday episode of This That Line. And as always, I'm your host, Emmett Roth. So, welcome to today's show. I'd like to tell you guys, in the episode description, I'll put the link to my website, The Stat Line on the web. You guys can go check that out. And don't forget to subscribe to The Stat Line on whatever you're listening to right now and check out the latest episode. Let's get started here on The Stat Line. NFL, Xavier Howard skips minicamp. Shopping Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Man cover was released, and we'll do some Dolphins trivia on today's episode due to... You know, Xavier Howard skipped minicamp. In the NBA, we'll talk about uh, Bucks for Bucks Force Game Seven. Chris Paul um, gets COVID. Paul George shows out without Kawhi to get a win in Game Five, and some head coaches were fired. Stan Van Gundy by the Pelicans. Scott Brooks on um, deal expired for Washington. They couldn't reach an agreement, and Rick Carlisle stepped down as head coach of the Mavericks. Let's get started on today's show. David Howard skips minicamp. I think that he's definitely allowed to skip minicamp. Well, he he should skip minicamp. That's why he's pretty young, only 27 years old. And he was a leader last uh, year in interceptions. He had 10, which led the league. He's only getting paid $15 million a year, where somebody who's a lot less productive, Jalen Ramsey, He's getting paid like $25 million. And Byron Jones, who plays opposite of him, gets paid $17 million a year. And David Howard is honestly playing much, much better than Byron Jones. And I don't see any reason why he should be paying less. I think he should either demand a trade or or he should try to get a contract extension that gets him paid something over $20 million Or, if not, uh, get a trade. He's still young, only 27. He he's still gonna be good in in the NFL, but if he when he's in prime is when he's in his prime and he's only paying 15 million a year when he's worth like 23 million a year, mm, you're you're gonna get 23 million. He's gonna get 23 million from some team. So let's get that's my stance on Xavier Howard. Um, Madden covers released. It doesn't really matter, but to those people who play Madden out there that are listening to the show, Mahomes and Brady, they're both on the cover right there. Um, they're both on, will be on the Madden 22 cover. And this is the first time since 2010 where it was Larry Fitzgerald and Troy Palomau. Ah, uh, can't, I can't say that name. Palomalu. Yes, I think that was it. Anyway, let's continue. Um, Dolphin Trivia, we're going to get into that. 
before we get into our long NBA segment for today's show, let's get started. First question, um, when was the Dolphins' perfect season? Was it 1986, 1972, 1982, or 1976? I know that this is 1972. We're just going to go with that. Let's see. Correct. 1972, which is when they went, I think, 14-0. and uh, This season was shorter back then. Who was the first Dolphins QB to pass for more than 400 yards in a game? David Woodley, Dan Marino, Bob Grease, or Earl Morrill. I think it's Dan Marino just because he's more well-known. We'll see, though. Uh, it seems too obvious. Let's see. Nope, it is David Woodley. Passed for 408 yards in a game, and that was after Bob Reese, but before Dan Marino, I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That was in uh, a loss to the Cowboys 27-28 in 1981. What team did the Dolphins beat to claim their first Super Bowl victory? The Cowboys, Vikings, 49ers, or Redskins? I think it's Washington. I think that they would have been a team that could have been on the Super Bowl back then. Um, listeners out there, the Redskins are now the football team, in case you're wondering. Okay, let's see. Yep, it is Washington. That happened um, Super Bowl 7, 14-7 was the score. What is the largest margin of victory in Dolphins history? 52 points, 44, 48, or 40? I think it's 48. Over 50 sounds a little too high. Let's see. Incorrect. 52 points. Um, And uh, that was um in their 1972 season. They beat the Patriots 52-0. to zero. I imagine that the other team probably didn't put up any other points if you're going to put up that meant if you're going to be by that much, I don't think that they're going to score. Which Dolphin is the NFL's all-time leader in fumble re- fumble return touchdowns with six? That's fumble sixes. Where there's a fumble and then you take it back to the touchdown to score. Was it Manny Fernandez, Jason Taylor, Zach Thomas, or Jake Scott? Um, my guess is Scott. We'll see. I think he was a safety. Incorrect. It was Jason Taylor. He's also the leader in interceptions return for touchdowns. Um, and FYI, that's only for the Dolphins. He's the leader for it. Okay, let's go into question number six. Um, who is the first Miami Dolphin elected into the Hall of Fame? Larry Chanka, Bob Grace, Paul Warfield, or Jim Langer? My guess is Bob Grace, just because it said earlier um, something about how good he was. Um, Let's see. Nope. It was Paul Warfield who uh, he, uh, he had 21, uh, 20.1 average yards per reception in the NFL, so he was a receiver. That's pretty hot. Who is it, Dolphins? First, a thousand yard rusher. Mercury Morris, Larry Chanka, Jim Kick, or Ricky Williams? My guess is Ricky Williams. I don't know why. Let's see. Nope, it was Larry Chanka, uh, 1971 season, um, the only year in the 1970s that a running back gained over 1,000 yards rushing without a single fumble. Interesting fact. Which player holds a franchise record for career receiving yards? Jarvis Landry, Mark Clayton, Mark Duper, or Nat Moore? I don't think it's Landry. We can rule out that one. I'm going to go Duper. 
I have a 33% chance to get it right. And I am correct. It was Mark Duper. He caught 511 passes for 8,869 yards and 59 touchdowns in his 11 NFL seasons. Pretty good career. What season was Dan Marino named the NFL's MVP? Second, fourth, first, or third season? I guess it's first, but... Uh, he probably would have been Rookie of the Year then, so my guess is going to be third. Let's see. Incorrect. It was this actually second season. Broke six NFL full passing records, including most touchdown passes, 48, which has been broken now, and most passing yards, 5,084, which I believe has also been broken, leading the Dolphins to a 14-2 regular season record and an appearance in Super Bowl 19. What player broke broke Bob Grease's leg during the perfect 1972 season? Deacon Jones, Jack Youngblood, Elsie Greenwood, or Harvey Smith? I think it's Deacon Jones. I only think that because I know he's known for coining the term sacks. So let me just guess. Yep. He was, uh, yep. That was the correct answer. It was Deacon Jones. Okay, let's go to our 11th question. Second to last, how many losing seasons did the Dolphins have during the 26 years that Don Shula served as head coach? 2, 8, 4, or 16? My guess is 4. That's that's pretty good. 2 for 2 out of every 13. Not bad. Let's see. Incorrect. It was 2. Wow. That's 2 out of 26. That's That's amazing. And let's go to our final question. Which player was named MVP of Super Bowl Seven? Mercury Morris, Larry Chanka, Jake Scott, or Paul Warfield? I have a feeling Jake Scott. I feel like I've done I've done this one before. Let's see. Not not this trivia, but I feel like I've done this question before. Let's see. Correct. Uh, he recorded two interceptions for sixty-three return yards, including a fifty-five. Yard returned from the end zone during the fourth quarter. He became the second offensive player to earn Super Bowl MVP award. That's a little interesting fact. And a good way to send us into the break. And we'll see you right after the break, right here on the stat line. guys welcome back to the stat line we're gonna get started with the nba part of today's show um turning off bucks forced a game seven against the nets after they won 104 to 89 on thursday night um this is uh big because the bucks really well they needed this otherwise they would have fallen out of the playoffs of course but this really shows i think that if they lost here they may have you know, could have headed into a rebuild. They've been 
at this spot a couple of times in the playoffs and just haven't made it, um, haven't been able to succeed. And if you get to a spot and you just can't succeed over and over again, you have to rebuild. So um, if the Bucks can win this game, this would be really crucial and to their future success, in my opinion. That's all I'm saying. And what, what team has the upper hand? I would say the Bucks do because the Nets, uh, it looks like momentum's starting to shift to the Bucks just because they won this game. I think that if Middleton, if they just can continue to give the ball to Middleton, who's been on fire this series, that they can win as long as he's doing good. I think they should be able to win this fairly easy. In other news, Chris Paul uh, tested positive for COVID. He is now entering the NBA's health and safety protocols. And he's most likely going to be out to start the Western Conference semifinals. So, that'd be pretty big. You know, he was averaging like 25 points a game in the series against the Nuggets. So, he's been pretty crucial so far. They haven't, I mean, to some extent he's been important. You know, they didn't get to 4-0 in the playoffs so far by being bad. Like, by having to rely on him. I mean, everybody's played their part, but Chris Paul's been fairly important. I'd say number one or number two. I don't I don't know how you... I guess Devin Booker and Chris Paul. I guess they've been kind of tied for number one important so far. It's be pretty big if he's out most of the Western Conference semifinals. And I think that if he's out for more than first two games, which I mean probably they'd be down 0-2, you know, they may not be able to come back from that. So let's just hope he gets healthy and, yep. Um, in other news, Paul George, he, um, the Clippers were playing the Jazz, um, game five, and Kawhi Leonard was out. I forget for what, I'm sorry. I think it was a hamstring or a knee. Anyway, he was out for that game, and... Paul George was able to put up enough points for them to pull out a victory, which really nobody expected. Uh, he had a yeah, uh, he had a double double in that game, thirty-seven points, sixteen rebounds. So for him, a shot like that, he's really been the quieter of the two. By that I mean Kawhi Leonard and Paul George so far in the playoffs. So for him to show out like that when it's needed, um, this really is a new Clippers team from last year, in my opinion. This really kind of proves that, puts on a statement, and that they can overcome teams that were better like they couldn't last season, like the Jazz. So, that's it for the news. Uh, Well, for that, let's get into the head coaches that were fired. Uh, Stan Orr are no longer with their teams. Stan Van Gundy, I said that like, are no longer with their teams like they died. No, no co- head coaches died. I'll just say that. Um. Dan Van Gundy was fired by the Pelicans. They had kind of high expectations. You know, they had Brandon Ingram and Anthony Davis had been in the playoffs a couple of times. But uh, both, well, Anthony Davis is gone now. They haven't made the playoffs since he left. So as you would imagine, there's a lot of pressure on him to, you know, make the playoffs, which they were unable to do. So the Pelicans organization decided that they have a good enough roster to make the playoffs. You know, they have Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that he wasn't able to make the playoffs may show that he's not a very good long-term head coach. 
and they decided to fire him. And well, hopefully he can just bring up. Hopefully he doesn't have too bad of an effect on them, and they'll be able to hi- pick the right head coach when they're hiring. Um, Scott Brooks happened with him in Washington. Is both sides uh, they couldn't agree to a contract extension. His deal was to expire this off season, and well, it had already expired, and they were, uh, yeah. So they just let him go. Really, um, you know, I think that this is actually a really good head coaching opportunity because you know we have Russell um, Westbrook, and you have Bradley Beal, two really good, uh, relatively young players, and. Well, they have other players too, not just them, but it's mostly just them. And there's not a whole lot of pressure on you to do great your first couple of seasons. Washington Wizards really haven't had much success, so it is a pretty good head coach opportunity. And Rick Carlisle, he's he resigned as the head coach of the Mavericks. I don't really know why. It definitely wasn't pressure from Mark Cuban or anything like that. In fact, he earlier. Earlier in the week, he released a statement that he was going to stay on as head coach. My guess, um, the only people that really know our guess are Rick Carlisle and members of the Mavericks organization. My guess is that uh, he and Luca kind of had a problem, and he would rather just resign than anything else. I don't know. but And there's a lot of other head coach opportunities that are open that I'm sure would be willing to accept him because – now, uh, Celtics, Magic, those are two really good positions that he definitely could take. Um, I think that the Celtics and Ma- Magic are definitely the best two ones left because the Celtics, you know, they have Jason Tatum, among other really good players. Also, um, there was a trade, Kemba Walker. He went to OKC. Um, I don't know all the details quite yet on the trade, uh, of everything about the trade. So we'll do that on our next Tuesday episode. Make sure to tune into that and hit the subscribe button to the stat line on whatever you're listening to on right now. And but the Celtics, there's a lot of pressure, but they have good players. And the Magic, there's relatively no pressure, and you have a couple of good picks. Uh, I don't know. It's just two things that could happen. And let's go into our last segment for today's show: reactions. So we're gonna go to Tuesday's games first. Game, I should say. Uh, Nets beat the Bucks 114 108. This really doesn't mean anything um, because the Bucks are able to tie it up next. Kevin Durant had a monster game. He had a triple double 49 points, 17 rebounds, and 10 assists. This really just shows that Kevin Durant, if he needs to, he can probably, he, sometimes he can carry the Nets on his shoulders. If you know Kyrie, he was out for that game. And James Harden really hasn't been playing that great. Has been to has been settling for a lot of threes recently. Uh, not been that good on laps. Just saying. Anyway, I think that this is really good for Kevin Durant. Um, this is really good for the Nets because now that if they need to, Kevin Durant could probably carry them on his shoulders and could pull out a win like this. Um, Giannis had a really good game too. Double double. And they were able to keep it close. What concerns me a little bit is the Bucks. Um, I thought that they had better defense in this. I I get that Kevin Durant did really good and stuff like that. I thought they they would be able to contain him a little more. 
or I think that their expectation for the Bucks on how good their defense is, that they would be able to hold the Nets to 105 points or under. So that's the only thing that really concerns me out of this game. Let's go to Wednesday's games. The Hawks beat the 76ers, um, 109-106. This is really good that they are able to pull out a close game like this for the Hawks. They are currently leading 3-2. Dre Young had 39 points, 1 rebound, 7 assists. And Joel Embiid had 37 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists. So Joel Embiid, it looks like this injury is not too concerning if you're going to be putting up about 40 points a game in a series. So that's really good for 76ers fans. Don't be too concerned about Joel Embiid. Just be concerned about if you can hold, um, if you can pull out games at the end against the Hawks and in the rest of the playoffs if necessary. I already talked about this, but the Clippers beat the Jazz 119 to 111. Paul George had a trip, um, had a double double, 37 points, 16 rebounds, and five assists, and without Kawhi Leonard. So this is just fantastic job by Paul George. I didn't think that he was going to be able to handle it without Kawhi Leonard, who's definitely been the better Clippers player so far. So, yeah, this really just proves Paul, um, that the Clippers aren't last year's Clippers or the previous years or whatever. And because last year, what would have happened here is if they lost their good player, um, which is uh, if they lost um, like their player, which is Kawhi Leonard last year, they probably would have been down and lost that game as a result of it. But they Paul George was able to just dominate this game and it it just really shows that the Clippers are making some improvements really good let's go to our last game Nets Bucks you know this happened um forced to game seven Bucks 104 to 89 I'm not going to recap this game because I think I already did but guys make sure to tune in to some of these games Hawks 76ers later tonight you guys will probably this game will probably be over before you listen to this show, um, Hawks 76ers, that's at 6.30 p.m. Central Time today. Jazz Clippers, 9 p.m. Central Time. And then on Saturday, Bucks Nets play. On Sunday, Clippers and Jazz play. And Hawks 76ers play, if necessary. Both of those, Clippers and Jazz and Hawks and 76ers. And we'll see you next time right here on the stat line. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button to the stat line on whatever you're listening to us right now. Music for the stat line created by Forrest Huskenfeld and yours truly. Also managed by yours truly. <laughs>